I don't know what you guys are going to really take from this because I feel like it's a little bit, it's concise, but I feel like it's a little bit everywhere. So I hope this is what y'all need. But my prayer with this lesson is that it's practical enough that you can put it in your life every day. You know, something you can take with you, something that you can consciously say, I have to make this a part of my walk with God. Uh, but with that, knowing that the power lies in transformation. So I pray that God transforms us in the hearing of it. That so that when after you've heard it and you've taken it in, that you are different. That something about your spirit is different. And something about your heart has changed. That it's not you just hearing words and saying that was nice. Oh man, that was kind of deep. Well, wow, I never thought of it that way. But it's something that really changes you. Because if the word is, doesn't change you, then we're just really wasting our time. If you're not different from hearing it, then, I mean, we really could just be hearing any words and go along and say, wow, that was a, a good couple of words that that woman spoke. But I want it to be more than that. And so often we think of, I think, our spiritual journey that is in our hands and is in all the knowledge that we can obtain. But it's really all about God that this is God's plan, that he's doing all of the work and all we're simply doing is surrendering to his plan each step of the way. And we've gotten a little arrogant in our thinking that we hold so much in our own hands, that we can change ourselves, that we can transform our own lives. And you know, God has been taken a little bit out of the picture yeah, we come to service, we read the book, we say a few prayers, but really, we think we're doing it. If I can stop doing this, if I can do that, if I can make this happen, and it's all about us, and it's really not about him. And at some point in time, we've got to wake up and realize that this is God's thing, that we're just kind of pawns in the game of his plan. So often, I think, we deal with the symptom of the problem, but we never really deal with the core issue of the problem. So we've been treating symptoms, and like I have said before, that if you misdiagnose the problem, then you're gonna mistreat the problem, and then you're never gonna heal properly. So we've been misdiagnosing what the real issue is, and the treatment, we are doing treatment, you know, we're trying to live life. We're trying to be in God's will. We're trying to serve him the way we've been told to serve him or the way we interpret our way of serving him. But it's been a misdiagnosis because the heart of the problem is really where it lies. For an example, if I have cancer and I'm losing weight and I go to the doctor and the doctor's like, man, you've really lost a lot of weight. And he starts treating my weight loss. So he's giving me supplements to take. He's telling me to do a little weight gain, eat more foods with extra calories, and I do that. And do I gain some weight? I do. But can I keep the weight on? No, because I got cancer. And what we've been treating is just the symptoms of our problems, this flesh. Okay, let me stop doing this. Let me do that. Let me try to get my mind right. Let me, you know, do a couple of fasts. Let me read a little more. Let me do all that stuff. But the heart of the problem is that our hearts are evil. Our hearts are not in love with God. 
And when our hearts are wrong, everything else is just all a fallacy. So we've got to look deep within ourselves and realize that this heart is not doing what it's supposed to be doing, saying, I love Jesus, and we really do feel like we love the man. Like we are sincere in us saying that. We are sincere in our steps towards Christ. But we can't change our own heart. Only God can. So we've been praying and asking God to take this away and to take that away and remove this from me and stop me from doing this. But what we should be praying is, God, just give me a new heart. I need heart surgery. I mean, I want you to take out this heart that I have, that I've grown accustomed to, the one that I love. And I need you to give me one that you know that will adore you, one that will love you. But in that exchange, that means that I lose who I always thought I was. Because we are made up of our passions and our desires and our wants and what we feel our needs are. So if he takes that from us and he gives us what his heart is, his passion and love and desire, are you willing to lose who you are to become who he wants you to be? Can you consciously say, I don't want to be me anymore? That I love you that much. That I'll give up everything that I know to be true and love and honest and say it's all been a lie. So with the issue isn't that my flesh wants to sin. The issue is that my heart hasn't been changed. Because even if I abandon the behaviors what many of us have done, the heart is still the factor and the heart is still ugly. And he's looking at the heart, not the outside behaviors. Jeremiah 17 and 5. It says, thus says the Lord, cursed with great evil is the strong man who trusts and relies on frail man, making weak human flesh his arm, and whose mind and heart turn aside from the Lord. Cursed with great evil. And every time we rely on ourselves to stop, we're cursed. Because the strength is not in Christ, it is in ourselves. Jeremiah 17 and 10 reads, I, the Lord, search the mind. I try the heart, even to give to every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doing. And I think sometimes we're like, but Lord, I'm walking with you. I'm serving you. Why is this coming to me? Why is this in my path? And maybe it's in your path because he has searched your mind and he is trying your heart and he is giving you the fruit of your doing. Because that's what the scriptures say. But, you know, we're so arrogant. We think we're so saved. We could put a banner on the back of our shirts and walk around and say, I'm with Jesus. I've been baptized in Jesus' name, filled with the Holy Ghost. I'm even speaking in tongues. But something's amiss. Maybe he is giving you the desires of your heart. Maybe that's what you got. You fooled yourself into believing your desires are something than what they really are. 
if we look at Psalms 106, the beginning of 106 starts with them discussing how God led the Israelites out and parting the sea and all that greatness. And I believe verse uh, 12 says, and they finally believed his word and they rejoiced. Then you jump to 13. And I think this is where we fall into so often. Yet how quickly they forgot again. They wouldn't wait for him to act, but demanded better food. And that demanded better food can be interpreted as lusted exceedingly. Testing God's patience to the breaking point. So he gave them their demands, but sent with them leanness in their souls. Leanness, it means waste. And to their souls, it means to the man himself, to the seed of the appetites, to the seed of the emotions and the passions, to the activity of mind, the activity of the will, and the activity of the character. You get what you want, but you got waste all inside of you. We have to be careful what we keep asking for. Because we act like God don't know what he's doing. Lord, do this, take this, make this happen, change this. And we keep begging. Lord, there's got to be something wrong with I'm praying. I need you to do this. This is what my mind says would make my life better. This is what I perceive will make me feel like I have arrived. And week after week and month after month and year after year, we keep telling God what he needs to do to make our life complete. And at some point, his patience breaks, and he says, you get it. But you got to take a little waste with you. The translation reads, verse 15, um, the message translation as, he gave them exactly what they asked for, but along with it, they got an empty heart. And many of us have become so arrogant in our demands and wants from God, constantly dissatisfied with our lot in life, always in search for more, lacking gratitude for what God has already done and the promises that he has made. We are comfortable with our lack of faith. We are comfortable living in doubt. We are comfortable with our rationalizations of how our life should be. Some of us have even become comfortable with our acceptable sins and those unacceptable ones. We can say I shouldn't do X, Y, and Z. I shouldn't be that kind of person. But we never really move towards purging it out of us and changing. How many things do we carry year in, year out, year in, year out? And we just say, okay, God knows. Lord, forgive me. Help me, Jesus. But there's no compelling to really change. We're just comfortable. Do we really want God to give us our desires? But with that granting, he also gives us an empty heart. And before we quickly say, no, I would not want an empty heart, check your life. 
check and see how you really have been living. Because that's what he's looking at. Not the lip service we give, but what's down in our heart. What's breaking your heart? What makes you sad? What drives you to your knees? Is it really the same things that break God's heart? Or is it the stuff that we've manufactured to be bigger than God in his plan? When do we get a heart that looks like crisis? If we are one with him, why isn't our heart beating in unison with him? Why do we think it's okay to keep our foulness yet proclaim that we are Jesus' name? I mean, isn't it a little raunchy for us to label ourselves as Christ and we go out in the world and say, this is Christ? I am showing you Christ, yet we are who we are? But God, the amazing God he is, knowing how foul we are, he still wants the best for us. He still wants to give us what we are in need of. He has diagnosed the problem properly and has a remedy for it. But keep in mind with every promise, there's also warnings. So you can't just get excited about the promises and not look at the warnings that he attaches to the promises. Ezekiel 11, 19. He says, I will give you one heart in a new spirit, I will take from you your hearts of stone and give you tender hearts of love for God so that you can obey my laws and be my people and I will be your God. But as for those now in Jerusalem who long for idols, I will repay them fully for their sins, the Lord God says. We have put so many idols in front of Christ. We worship idols all the time. Our, our wealth, our, our, our supposed lifestyle and who we think we are is way more important than what we say God is. Our images, all that stuff is above God. It's a reason why we present ourselves the way we do. It's because you feel good about it. You think you're something. You drive the car you drive, the house you try and obtain, the, the clothes we wear, all of it is just so I can present a certain image. And we don't really care that our hearts are ugly. Let me just clean it up, put on the mask, put on the fakeness, and walk in and say, but I'm with Jesus. And we wonder why he often doesn't meet us. And why he's sitting there saying, really, people? Put your hand down. That's what I think he wanted to say sometime. Stop it. But no, he doesn't. He allows us with our filthiness to come before him, and he still enters our presence. Because he said, I will give it to you. I will give you that heart that you need, the only heart that can serve me. Because as your heart is, stony and hard, it cannot serve me. Move to Ezekiel 18 and 30. 
He says, I will judge each of you, O Israel, and punish or reward each according to his own actions. O turn from your sins while there is yet time. Put them behind you and receive a new heart and a new spirit. For why will you die, O Israel? I do not enjoy seeing you die. The Lord God says, turn, turn, and live. When do we turn? And the turning can't be, oh, I went and got baptized. Oh, I turned and said, Lord, give me your spirit. It's got to be constant turning. We've got to turn daily. Because sin is always right there next to us, trying to be our best friend. Are you truly turning every day? How many days do you arm up with sin and say, let's walk together today? Mm, Jesus, I'm going to turn tomorrow. Today I need a little comfort. Because sin has become our comfort zone. We like it. Makes us feel good. So let's go to Ezekiel 36. 22. And this is profound because knowing who we are and how messed up we are, he still has such a plan. And this plan has been there since the beginning. So, like, we can't mess up the plan because it's his. And he's not going to let us foul up what he created from the beginning. It says, therefore, say to the people of Israel, the Lord God says, I am bringing you back again. But not because you deserve it. I am doing it to protect my holy name, which you tarnished among the nations. I will honor my great name that you defiled, and the people of the world shall know I am the Lord. I will be honored before their eyes by delivering you from exile among them. For I will bring you back home again to the land of Israel." Then it will be as though I had sprinkled clean water on you, for you will be clean. Your filthiness will be washed away, your idol worship gone, and I will give you a new heart. I will give you a new and right desires and put a new spirit within you. I will take out your stony hearts of sin and give you new hearts of love, and I will put my spirit within you so that you will obey my laws and do whatever I command. Upon reading that, I don't know how we became so self-righteous. We have no ability to do anything. The fact that we even are sitting here is because he gave us a desire. Because he put a right spirit in us. We didn't do nothing. We simply surrendered to the Almighty. Wow, what a big deal. The man that created it all, the man that is keeping us breathing, the man that is, has sealed eternity for us, and we act like it's a big deal that we bow down before him. That's your pat on the back? That you kind of said, oh, Jesus, I believe you? Why wouldn't we believe him? Everything attests to him. Yeah, we think we're so amazing. I got faith. Really? In a God that never failed? How hard is that? 
Oh, I trust you. Well, he's been holding it all together. Why wouldn't you trust him? Don't pat yourself on the back for the, for the stuff that's really not that big of a deal. He's God. And I think that part, we've, we've listened in our brains. Do we get who he is? What he's really done? Or have we been doing this too long and we've lost appreciation? In 2 Timothy 1. And we've read most of this stuff more than once. Why hasn't it sunk in? 1 and 9, 9 through 11. It says, it is he who saved us and chose us for his holy work, not because we deserved it, but because that was his plan long before the world began, to show his love and kindness to us through Christ. And now he has made all of this plan, plain sorry, to us by the coming of our Savior Jesus Christ, who broke the power of death and showed us the way of everlasting, life through trusting him. Again, it's not about us, it's about his plan. What we should be really excited about is that he chose us to put the plan in motion. Out of all of the people in the world, he could have chose. We could, each of us, been any of them people out there that had no mind of God at all. We could be a person that says God doesn't even exist. But he chose you. When he thought up this whole thing, us, to say, I want that one to show forth me in this world. That's amazing. But we don't, we've lost appreciation for that. We're not still in all of that. Like, man, he chose me like God chose me. And I think sometimes we're a little angry that he chose us. Because with him choosing us, now we have to make a choice. The people he didn't choose don't have to choose anything. They get to do whatever they want. They get to live by their own heart, their own will, without ever considering, oh man, there's a Jesus that one day is going to come back. And I believe in heaven or hell, and I don't want to be the one burning. Other people that didn't get chosen don't have to think about that. And our stupid butts are up here mad that we got chosen. Like, dang, I got to think about that. I can't do what I want to do. I can't just be who I want to be. Like, every day I got to be thinking. Every moment, every time a temptation comes, I got to do the considering. What's wrong with us? What an honor to have the choice. We've lost sight. And look what we're envious of, people that are going to hell. I want to be you. Serious? But God knew from the beginning that he had to give us a new heart and a new spirit in order for us to please him. So with that, sending his son, he provided us with the opportunity to receive it. Now, we have to receive it. He has given it. 
but it's up to you to receive it. It's sitting there waiting for you. You can't walk away from it. And some of us have walked away from the new heart and the new spirit. We walked away. I don't know what we got kind of spirit. I don't think it's always the Jesus spirit. Because that's supposed to, you know, do something for us. We shouldn't be so easily swayed. We shouldn't bend so quickly if we have the Jesus spirit in us. I mean, what happened to a little, I mean, a little resistance? We get tapped one or two times and we kind of like, oh, <laughs> oh, my Lord. So you can choose to treat the symptoms or you can choose to treat the core issue. If you choose to treat the symptoms, you are accepting the curse by relying on your own flesh, or you can trust God's plan and live. See, another choice, curse or the Jesus way. Ephesians 3 and 14. And this is Paul's prayer, and I think this is what we need to be praying. We've been praying the wrong things. We've been asking for just completely falsity. And we wonder why the Lord is just, it's amazing. He just keeps listening to our babbling. <laughs> Thank God for that. So it says, when I think of the wisdom and scope of his plan, I fall down on my knees and pray to the Father of all the great family of God, some of them already in heaven and some down here on earth that out of his glorious, unlimited resources, he will give you the mighty inner strengthening of his Holy Spirit. And I pray that Christ will be more and more at home in your hearts, living within you as you trust in him. May your roots go down deep into the soil of God's marvelous love. And may you be able to feel and understand, as all God's children should, how long, how wide, how deep, and how high his love really is. And to experience this love for yourselves, though it is so great that you will never see the end of it or fully know or understand it. And so at last, you will be filled up with God himself. That's a beautiful prayer. So I'm going to break that prayer down a little bit. So we see here that the prayer is that God will give us. That's the first step, is recognizing that I need you, God, to give me this. So we need to ask God for the right things. Let's stop talking about the little frivolous, stupid stuff, and let's start talking about the deep core issues. So, God, this is what I need you to do for us. Grant us the heart you said you would give us, and grant us the right desires you said you would give us so we can do your plan. It says in Acts 16 and 14, when he was speaking of Lydia, and it says the master gave her a trusting heart, and she believed. Another translation says the Lord opened her heart and she accepted. So if God doesn't grant it or open our hearts, we're not going to be able to receive any of this. 
So whenever we go before him, whenever we come into his presence, God opened my heart to be able to receive what you're giving out. Don't let me just sit here trying to figure it out on my own. Open up my heart. Let me believe you. Don't let me even fool myself to think I have belief. So now I ask the Father to grant us a trusting heart. Open up our hearts to accept his living and powerful word. If we look at him praying for the strengthening, the strengthening of the Holy Spirit is what he put in that. That he would give us the strengthening of the Holy Spirit. If we look at 2 Timothy 3 and 5, and there we see what Christ doesn't give in his spirit and what he does give. 2 Timothy 1 and 7 is where I want you to go first. For it says, God did not give us a spirit of timidity. So timidity is cowardness, spineless, shrinking, submissive fear. That is not what the spirit is. How is it that we get caught up in that? So much of our lives is dictated by the fears that we have. And he said, I didn't give you that kind of spirit. That's not what's in you. But what I did give you of power, love, and a sound mind. A sound mind is calm and well-balanced mind. Discipline and self-control. Now, why the heck is our lives so out of control? Why do we lack so much discipline? When he said, this is part of the spirit that I gave you. For you to be powerful, that you have amazing love, and that you have self-discipline and control. Now, how many of us can really raise our hands and say that you live in this all the time? Not one of us. But this is what he gave you, so why aren't we living in it? What happened to what the spirit is supposed to do? Why have we denied it to do what he gave it to us to do? Why are we content with being able, you know, a little prayer, speaking tongues every once in a while? Why is that enough for us? But it's not being amplified in our lives. Now, if you go to 2 Timothy 3, Two through five. We've got to understand that the very thing that Satan is trying to steal from us, killing us and destroy from us, is the power, the love, and the sound mind. He is working overtime to take that from you. If he can make you doubt the power of God, the power of the word of God, then he has stolen your source. When the word of God no longer is powerful enough to change you, powerful enough to regulate your mind, powerful enough for you to shut the devil up, then he's taking your source from you. And we just give it away because the spirit of God is greater. So why aren't we greater? So we're warned about those who deny the power. We've kind of misused that denying the power thing. 
We didn't put it on everybody but ourselves. So let's read. For people will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents, and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride, love pleasure rather than God. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. Stay away from people like that. Now, before we get arrogant, that's right, don't deny the power thereof. Let's look at that and see where we fall. How many of us are in love with ourselves only? That selfishness that we just hold on to so smugly. Our money. We may not have much, but we sure love it. You don't have to have the money to love it. But how many of us find value in how much money we have or the lack of money we have? How many of us are crying a river because the money's not there? How many of us are a little sad that we didn't get the house we wanted, the cars we wanted, as frivolous as the clothes and the purses we wanted and the shoes we wish, and the vacations we wish we could go on, and the lifestyle that we think is so impressive? And that's what you're crying to God about. But your heart stinks and you think that's okay. Boastful and proud. A little full of ourselves. What is wrong with us? Our arrogance has just blown me away. I'm telling you, I'm just so arrogant. I mean, who do we think we are? We pat ourselves on the back way too much. And we didn't see that whole self, you know, a little self-love. I'm telling nobody not to like themselves, right? Or not to love themselves. But we didn't take it to a whole nother level. <laughs> Scoffing at God. You know, we wouldn't do that. Jeering God, laughing at him. It really just means a little disobedience, a little disbelief. We can all raise our hands to the disbelief. That's scoffing at God, saying you can't do what you said you would do. How many times have we been so arrogant to, you know, supposedly throw his word back on him? But you said if you were, who were we? What we doing? Disobedient, excuse me, to parents, ungrateful, ungrateful. Well, we got a lot to repent for. Consider nothing sacred. What holds sacredity in this society? Not much. We don't think many things are just, wow, that's, that is untouchable. We will touch anything. We will put our mouth on anything. We will practically almost do anything. We, nothing is sacred. Unloving, unforgiving, slander others, you know, we talk bad about somebody in a hot second. Hot second. It don't take much. And we don't even have to know, really. 
We're not really talking facts. You know, it's one thing to say a fact about someone. It's another thing to put your spin on it because you heard it from X, Y, and Z, and then they got it from, you know, this other person, and you're like, that's who they are. <laughs> Have you ever talked to them? No self-control. <sighs> that's probably one of the biggest things that we lack. We're just out of control in everything, in our spending, our eating, uh, our relationship with God, our relationship with others, everything, and we're just out of control. He did not give us that spirit. Cruel. You hate what is good. You get jealous of folks that are doing the right thing. Who they think they are. Why are you mad at them for trying to keep it together? Tell them we done lost our minds. Will betray their friends. You called them friend. Why are you betraying them? Why did you walk out on them? Reckless, puffed up with pride, love the pleasure. We love the pleasure. We don't want to say it more than God, but we'll whisper that more than God. But we love the pleasure. We love to feel good. And whatever, because everybody got a different thing to make them feel good. We love that feeling. Can you give up that feeling for Christ? Whatever your little pleasure is. Ah. You'll act religious. So you got the lingo. You got the dress. You come. You do your thing. Everybody looks different. What's your religiousness? Because we can say those people look religious because they do X, Y, and Z. What's your religious thing that you do that you can say, I got religion? I got Jesus. My thing looks like this. So we look in religious, but when we are in any of this stuff above, we're rejecting the power. So what we need to do is just simply fall on our face and say, Lord, please forgive us. Instead of making excuses of why we do this stuff. But good God, I am a sinner. Please save me by your grace. Like none of us should be buffed up. None of us should feel like, oh, we just on our way to heaven. If it's not for the grace of God, not near one of us would make it. If he wasn't doing the presenting at the end. Thank God he can put on the presentation. Because we wouldn't make it. Thank God the scripture doesn't really say what we've read it to say, that we have to be without spot and wrinkle. Thank God he said he's going to present us without spot and wrinkle. Because we are wrinkled up. We have been down at the bottom of that basket just... Not an ounce of iron has hit us. So what do you need God to remove from your heart? What do you need to go to him next time you hit your knees in prayer? God, remove this from my heart. I am in love with this. 
I'm going to confess that to you now. Please take it. And why do you believe that the power of God is not powerful enough for you to release these desires that he said he would change in you? Why have you skirted around town all this time not believing in the power? If we believe in the power, Satan has no ability to touch us at the name he's running. Are we not Jesus' name, folks? Do you not believe in his name? And what that name represents? And what Christ did when he got off that cross? And went down to hell and snatched the keys? Do you believe he took them? Or do you think the devil, he gave the devil one key? That he can dangle in front of you and you can say, oh God, that scares me. Are you serious? He took them all. Have you tried to use the name? And the reason why the name's not working because you don't believe in the power. You got to believe it. I mean, even the demons believe it. They more convinced than we are. The second part of the prayer is for you to fully know, understand, and feel the love. Fully know, understand, and feel it. If he can make you, this is Satan, not believe in the love, then he has killed the foundation of what this plan is built on. And if he can destroy your ability to be self-controlled, then he had destroyed your eternity. But the spirit that God has given you is power, love, and self-control. Don't let the devil enchant you with lies. He's just whispering in our ears, telling you that this is sweet, this is good, that's okay. You get to hold on to that. It's okay for you to be a little upset about that. God understands. So we think the devil's coming with the, go kill somebody. Yeah, you know, some people that works. But he's got us with the little stuff. Just don't doubt. Didn't he dog you out? Why are you still sitting up in that house? Everybody else got a house. You're just in that little old apartment. Your car about to break down. You don't know if the job is coming tomorrow. Ooh, you feel a little pain in your chest. Oh. My husband's cutting the food. The wife is acting crazy. The kids ain't right. Boy, that Jesus, I thought he was going to give you a new life. Why my kids don't act right? Why my mama stupid? You know, all that stuff. <laughs> you see, that's what we say. And you sitting there saying, you know, that's the truth. She is a beast. They are stupid. The job ain't working about the way I thought it would. You know, if I serve God, why ain't I rolling in that bins? That's the desire of my heart. He said he would give it to me. And we sit there and entertain him. And we're talking to him. You got a running conversation with Satan. And you think it's you. But he's just enchanting you. And pulling you in and say, let's have this conversation. And with each lie he drops in you, he takes away a little faith. 
and each thing he makes you be a little upset about, he's taking away your power. He's so slick. You got to be able to stop it immediately. Do not entertain him. That's why he says resist. Resist him. And he will flee. He don't even have a choice if you resist him. You got the power. The name of Jesus cast out Satan. Jesus, if you believe in it, he has to go. He can't stay. Don't let the devil get you. The power is in the name. If you can believe in the power of his name, then Satan has no power. So we need to ask God to give us a believing heart. Help me believe in your power. If we can embrace the power and the love, then self-discipline is ours. The self-discipline has to be built on the power and the love. You can't do it by yourself. And that's what we've done. We've reversed it. Let me get self-discipline. And then once I'm self-disciplined, I'm going to believe God loves me. And then I'm going to believe in the power. It works the other way. Believe in the power and the love. Self-discipline is yours. And that's why you see when he's talking about him giving us a new heart and a new spirit is because he knew that that was what I had to attack. The behaviors listed are there just to show you that you don't believe in the power and that you don't believe in the love. And what we've done is we're like, let's attack the behaviors. So let me deal with the symptoms. No, deal with the core issue, then all the rest gets taken care of. Because if your heart is in love with God and your spirit has the power to resist everything that's coming our way, you have no choice but to not touch that stuff. So the last thing Paul prays is for us to experience the love for ourselves. And why is the love so crucial? And he's not just talking about a general sense of knowing God is love. Like we can all throw that out. God is love. He's a loving God. He's a caring God. He loves me. We say that stuff. We don't live that. He prayed for you to be able to know the fullness of God's love and experience it. He adds, also understand it. So don't think that this walk is not intellectual. It's intellectual as well. Because remember he said he was searching the mind and the heart. Stop acting like you're dumb. You can comprehend stuff. You can put A and B. You know a little logic. Let's start thinking and stop being so haphazard. The words in the Bible are very clear. They're not written all extra hard for you not to understand. Pick up the book and read it. Ask him to open up your understanding and he will do that. He said if you want wisdom, he's going to give it to you freely. So ask for a little wisdom. Not knowing you were loved is why we cut the food so often. Love is the need that we all have. It's just the basic primal need. It is what pushes us towards the many sins that we struggle with. It is that need to be wanted and the need to hide from not knowing we are loved that makes us exploit sin and hurt God. Knowing we are loved gives us safety. When we feel unsafe, we are at our worst states. 
A lack of safety produces fear, and fear makes us act primal. So the first thing that Adam and Eve put on was fear. Was the first fear the fear of rejection, the fear of non-approval. That is what the fig leaves represent. First, we cover our most intimate parts, and then we cover all our parts. So though we want to come to God naked, we rarely do. Because I'm covering the stuff that fear has produced. And the stuff that I think that if you see and know this about me, you're not going to love me. You're going to reject me, and you're not going to approve of me. So let me hide this and cover myself. Well, whatever you think covers your nakedness, and let me present that to God. Instead of presenting him with the ugliness of my heart, because then I have to put it all out there. I have to say, God, this is me. Can you accept all this? And in accepting it, he then takes it away. For them to cover their parts, they had to slay an animal. See, at first they just used a little flea with nobody's harm. Then it went to the next level. Now I got to kill something and over to cover my stuff. So what things have you slain to cover your fear? What are you killing? That makes you feel like, oh God, now I'm protected. Who are you letting down? What was slain in you that made you feel like you needed to put on figs? Who was your first assault? They told you you're not lovable, that you're not worthy, that you're not good enough, that now I have to hide. You got to give that to God. Adam said, I hid because I was naked. What nakedness are you trying to hide from God? What don't you want him to see in you? Because we all say God knows, right? We believe that to an extent. But when do you ever just walk before him completely naked, stripping it all off? This is me, God. And trusting that he loves you anyway. Trusting that he chose the right one. He didn't make a mistake when he chose you. Like he does know it all. But he wants you to be so comfortable in his love and so convinced that he loves you that you will strip all down and just walk with him. Do you want to go back to the way it was supposed to be? Nothing hidden? I mean, isn't that our true desire for someone to love us that deeply? To see everything wrong with us, yet want us. But you have it right there. God said, I'm the one that will give you that. But we've gotten comfortable in not believing that. If you cannot embrace how much he loves you, we really cannot get too far. We really will be stuck with this. This life that we have. So there's five responses to fear. You have fight, flight, submit, play dead or freeze, or hide. 
most of us have one or two that we just gravitate towards. Which one of these things are you responding in that keeps you away from God? Because we're living in these states of being. We don't feel safe. We have the God of everything inside of us, yet I'm not safe. I'm still scared. I'm still afraid. Something is wrong with that. That's not what he gave us. And this is why it's so imperative to truly know and experience the love so that he can cast out the fear. 1 John 4 and 18. It says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. So perfect means genuine, true, lacking nothing and complete. That's the kind of love God gives. It's true. Not lacking a thing. He's just in love with you. Cast in this passage it means with force and with effort. So the love is forcing out the fear. Every time you can embrace the love, a little bit of fear gets pushed out. And that's why you have to constantly remind yourself of the love. You've got to know it. You've got to understand it. You've got to feel it over and over and over again until that fear is gone. So you can translate perfect love cast out fear as if one completely loves, he does not fear at all. Love is the agent. Fear is the affected element. Love and fear cannot dwell together. And we have become very accustomed with our fear, yet we profess love. You can't do the same. At the same time, I'm sorry, you cannot. The second part of the verse 18 says, he that fear is not made perfect in love. So in essence, it says your love is lacking genuineness, truth, and completion. Now, this is something else we have to take to Christ. Lord, my love is incomplete. It's not really genuine the way I thought it was. Can you give me a heart that can genuinely, truthfully love you? Because what I've been giving you is not enough. Now, we know that the biggest thing for God was where we would spend eternity. That was the whole point of his whole plan was for us to miss hell and go to heaven. Now, I know we get consumed with what's right here now, and it's hard for us to have that vision. But that's the only thing he was thinking about. When he constructed the whole thing, he wasn't thinking about these 50, 60 years, 80, 90 years that we live here on this earth. That was like a drop in a bucket for him. He was like, that's really not a big deal. Let me deal with the biggest issue is eternity. So 17 says, and as we live with Christ, our love grows more perfect and complete. And that's why he said in that prayer before that he would be at home with you living with you so we will not be ashamed and embarrassed 
at the day of judgment, but can face him with confidence and joy because he loves us, we love him too. Now, if the ultimate question of judgment is taken care of, what do we really have to fear? If God can seal your soul with everlasting life, right? Why can't we trust him with such small things as the necessities of living? I mean, he took your soul and sealed it. You're fine. You're with me. You can face me without embarrassment. So all the dirt we do, we don't even have to be embarrassed. And with confidence and a little joy, you get to have joy that you're going to meet me. Why are we so consumed with these little things as if he can't handle that? You really think he can't make sure you have a little something to eat? And a place to live? And something to cover your body? And that if you get sick that he can't take care of you? I mean, I know what we've seen. I get the whole thing. Lord knows y'all know that my whole thing was fear. So I get the, the aspect, but what is wrong with us? That he can take care of eternity, but he can't take care of right now? Why have we allowed ourselves to be fooled like that? Why can't we have confidence in God? That God will provide. That God will take care of me. That God knows it all, knows what I have need of. And he will do it because he loves me. Who would not take care of the one he loves? So we have to ask God to give us the right perspective in all things. To give us wisdom when all we want is answers. We don't really want wisdom. We don't want to know, okay, how do I deal with what's in front of me? If this is what's on my plate today, give me wisdom to do this to your pleasing. We say, God, why you let it happen? Why you do it? I can't believe you did that. Well, can you explain to me? Because maybe if I understand it, then I can deal with it. And then maybe I can trust you if you can make me understand it. Never ask for wisdom. This is what I have. Obviously, you're okay with this. You're okay with this state that I'm in today. So give me what I need to learn from this. Give me your perspective. Give me your heart. Give me your eyes so that I can see. Give me your ears so that I can hear what you need to hear. But we ask for all the stuff that doesn't matter. Because we're so arrogant. And we think we have the right to, to chastise God. And say, who do you think you are? But I believe in you. I mean, you could at least give me something back. I didn't even, you know, go do what I wanted to do for you. And you withholding this from me? God, you're a cruel God. I mean, how many times did we thought God was being mean? That we thought he was unfair and unjust. So then we attack his character. He told us that what he loves is justice. That he only sees the best for us. Only. And that at the end, it's all going to work out perfectly. Yet we have the nerve to chide him. Proverbs 3. So we've got to stop leaning on our own understanding. 
3 and 5 says, Trust the Lord with all your heart and do not rely on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path smooth. These are no ifs and buts and you know what I mean? This is facts. If you trust him with all your heart, and if you do not lean on your own understanding, and if you could stop acknowledging your own way and acknowledge him, the path is smooth. So our paths are not smooth because we do not trust him with all our heart. We are relying on our own understanding, and we are not acknowledging him. And that's why we're flipping and bumping and bruising ourselves. It's not him. He said, do not consider yourself wise. You're not that smart. The other scripture, don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to. Don't think, don't think you're so smart and you figured it out so well. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. So we've got to stop giving ourselves permission to dishonor God. So in short, When God grants us the right heart, fortifies us with his spirit, and allows us to experience his love, we will be filled up with God himself. When we are full of God, there is no way we can go wrong. I mean, I wonder what level the God is on us. Because, I mean, I'm sure we're all at different levels. Some of us is just at the ankle. We got a little Jesus in the feet. That's about all the Jesus we got. I mean, we need to let this thing go up through us and not be okay with him stopping at our waist. Jeremiah 17, 7 through 8. And I just marvel at how far I've come from when I started this journey to where I didn't believe the Bible at all. Like I believed it on a surface level. But that I was really at a place where I didn't believe I really, I mean, look, I could read it. It was not anything that had power for me. And that's like, I'm grateful that he enlightened me and I could receive the fact that I didn't believe him and that I can confess that to him and hold on to the little bit of trust that I had that he wouldn't let me go. But it has to start with some honesty. Like, God, when I read that, I'm not convinced. And if you got to go one scripture at a time, Lord, can you show me this? I know I shouldn't question you. I know I don't even have a right to say that this is not true. But God, that's where I am. My path has not been smooth, and I thought I trusted you. So can you show me where the trust is lacking? Can you open me up and show me? But he's only going to show you if you want to see yourself. If you're comfy with, you know, just take it away, Jesus. You know what you need to take away. (laughs) But you don't really want understanding. You'll be right where you are. Go ahead and quote the song. Go ahead and do what you do. That's the level you'll be at. And I'm not here to proclaim anyone heaven or hell. I don't know what the good Jesus is going to do with any of us. I just know I got to be concerned with me because, you know, my soul is the only one that's going to be feeling either burning or pleasure. So I got to make sure I get this thing right. If you want to roll the dice and take your chances, so be it. I hope I get to see you up there. 
So 17, 7 through 8, it says, Blessed is the person who trusts the Lord. The Lord will be his confidence. He will be like a tree that is planted by water. It will send its roots down to a stream. It will not be afraid in the heat of the summer. Its leaves will turn green. It will not be anxious during droughts. It will not stop producing fruit. Now, we are terrified when the summer months come. When the sun is blazing on us and we feel like our ground is dry and cracked up. He said there, if you trust and had confidence in the Lord, your leaves are still going to turn green because there's still water there. You may not see it, but the God is providing it. You don't even have to be anxious. You're never going to stop producing fruit. That means you're always going to have what you need. That's what he promised us, but we don't believe it. Because the moment I quote that, but when I get into, oh, Lord, the light bill is due. Oh, God, am I going to pay the rent? I don't, I'm not back to not being anxious. I'm anxious because I can't see it. Hebrews 10, 35 through 39. He says, don't throw it all the way now. You were sure of yourself then. It's still a sure thing. But you need to stick it out. Staying with God's plan so you'll be there for the promised completion. It won't be long now he's on the way. He'll show up most any minute. But anyone who is right with me thrives on loyal trust. If he cuts and runs, I won't be very happy. But we are not quitters who lose out. Oh, no. We'll stay with it and survive trusting all the way. And how many of us proclaim we're loyal? I'm a good friend. I'm loyal to the end. Ride or die. You got me. We can try to give that to people, but we won't give that to God. We're ready to kick Jesus out the car the moment something go wrong in our lives. But if your girlfriend is going through something, and she had a tough time, you're like, oh, I'm here. What you need? I'll even go do something illegal for you. What we got to handle? With Jesus, we're like, oh, Jesus, serious? I'll come pick you up after I go handle this other business. How twisted is that? How can you proclaim you're so loyal, unmoving, un you know, you just got all these qualities, but you can't give it to, to the master? So this is the last part of Paul's prayer in Ephesians 20 through 21. He says, now glory be to God who by his mighty power at work within us is able to do far more than we would ever dare to ask or even dream of, infinitely beyond our highest prayers, desires, thoughts, or hopes. May he be given glory forever and ever through endless ages because of his master plan of salvation for the church through Jesus Christ. We don't believe that. We believe he's capable of doing that, but he ain't going to do it for me. 
that he can go beyond our highest prayers. The desires that we feel are so amazing. He's like, you ain't got close to what I could give you. If you could just surrender to my plan and what I have for you, I will blow your mind. And we wonder why our lives are where they are is because we won't give it to him. We are still trying to control it. We're saying, God, I can't trust you to do the most awesome. You're not going to give that to me. So I'm still at the steering wheel trying to figure it out. Give it to him. Surrender it all. Ask him for a new heart. Ask him to continually to renew the spirit in you if you got it. If you don't really have it, just ask him to give it to you. If you've been faking all these years and you never received it, it's okay. None of us have to know. But just get down on your knees and ask the good Lord to give you a new spirit. Because some of us didn't get it. Not the, not the real one. We was conjoled and forced and all this other stuff happened. You may need a whole new experience. Then you can let go of, oh, I've been saved for 15 years. You may only been saved for two months. It's okay. But at least you got it now. So if you need to start over, start over. Jesus, we're going to work this all over again. I thought I knew you. I thought I believed. I don't. So here I am, an unbeliever, full of sin, confessing before you, can you please save me? But our pride stops us from doing that. I just need a little help, Jesus. No, you need a whole new saving. It's okay. I had to get a whole new saving. At the beginning, I was not, I mean, I don't deny what I got back then, right, at six. Not knowing what I was doing, just afraid. Now, how he going to save me when I'm just afraid? I got to think about that. I just thought about that. <laughs> if I'm going to him just full of fear, and I'm like, oh, God, save me because, how can he give me the right spirit? Because he said that the fear and the love can't be together. So when he entered, did he push out the fear that I had of this little six-year-old? He must have. He did save me back then. That must have been what happened. Okay, I just figured it out. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> so, <laughs> but I'm just saying, just do whatever. Like, this is supposed to be amazing. We're not supposed to be unhappy and, and feeling less than or like God gave us the short stick. Man, we're supposed to really be elated that he chose us. I mean, you, we got to get back to, Lord, let me be excited that I was chosen. Like, don't let me sit here and be, oh, okay, I'm saved. It's got to be more than that. He's too big and fabulous for us to just be, hmm. Oh, I'm finished.